This show is brought to you by earpeeler.com. Welcome one and all to episode 120 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor, and it's a celebration, bitches. That's as good as I'll get with my Rick James imitation there. But uh, yes, we are celebrating the sixth anniversary of the Mars Attacks podcast. Odd year to celebrate, I know. For those of you that haven't been listening to previous episodes, the reason we are doing this is because things are finally back in order after years of dealing with different health issues. We are full steam ahead with the podcast, and what better way to celebrate but to bring you nine classic albums columns for September. So every Tuesday and Thursday of this month, you will be receiving a new episode in this series. And we kick things off with Ozzy Osbourne's Blizzard of Oz. Before jumping into all of that, just want to remind you guys to go to MarsAttacksRadio.com. We've just revamped the whole website. Uh, Let us know what you think about that. Uh, You could drop us a line either on our Facebook page, which is Facebook forward slash MarsAttacksRadio. Uh, you could do so via Twitter, Mars Aries 2005 G+, or you could always just drop us an email, input at marsattacksradio.com. It's that simple. But uh, anyway, if you're unclear as to where you want to go, just go to the right-hand side of marsattacksradio.com and you'll find all those great links. Uh, also, well, actually... With the redesign at the top and the bottom, you'll find everything uh, that you need on any page that you pull up. So we've tried to make things a little easier, a little bit more modern. The page hasn't been touched in six years, so there you go. (laughs) Another reason to rejoice. Um, So anyway, the Classic Album Series, for those of you that are joining us for the first time or need a reminder, since we haven't done one since earlier in this year, where we talked Black Sabbath's Heaven and Hell album. Basically, it's a bunch of musicians, journalists, show hosts, so on and so forth, that are commenting on this album as fans, as historians, whatever comes to mind, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, You're going to hear people throughout this whole series that may not be fans of an album or may not be fans of a specific band. You'll hear that from time to time, especially this month, because there are some albums that uh, may be a little controversial to people because they didn't like certain switches or, or whatnot. Or you'll hear former band members discuss what's going on between them and the current band members. So there's always all that great stuff going on. So, for Blizzard of Oz, just a a quick rundown here of people that are involved in the episode. Uh, We have such journalists as Mitch Lafon from One on One with Mitch Lafon and Martin Popoff, the one and only uh, metal historian there. He's not the only one, but he's one of the more more well-rounded and more... Well known. You have my good friend Bob Nalbandian from the Inside Metal series, the Headbanger fanzine, and the Skulls Sessions 
um, podcast there, Shockwave Skull Shockwave Skull Sessions, damn it. So there you go. Um, we also have all types of different musicians. We have shredders like Joe Stump, um, Dave Reffitt involved. We have Racer X lead singer Jeff Martin. We have from Watchtower two former lead singers of the band, Alan Tecchio, who's also from Hades and Nonfiction, and also Jason McMasters, who's also part of Dangerous Toys, Broken Teeth, and a plethora of other bands. Uh, we have Monty Pittman, who has been in Prong. He's touring with Ministry at the moment, and he plays for Madonna. Well, he actually studied at uh, Randy Rhodes' family's uh, music academy. So you'll get to hear from him. You'll also get to hear people like Gene Hoagland who have joined us throughout all of these episodes for the most part. I believe there may be one or two at the beginning that he hasn't commented on, but uh, you'll have him. You'll have Charlie Benante from Anthrax. You'll also have two former drummers uh, for Ozzy. You have Brian Titchy. And you'll also have the legendary Carmine Apice. You'll also have, from the Rods, Carl Canada, who actually toured with Ozzy early on and knew Randy Rhodes and knew him from touring with them and, and whatnot, and he touches a little bit upon that. And there's a bunch of other people that I didn't mention because, you know, I've already talked for about five minutes here. And this episode will be chocked full of other people talking and let's let them do the talking with regards to this great, great album. So uh, just one more reminder here. If you want to purchase the album, there are links right there in the show notes to do so. Uh, there's also a Spotify playlist at the bottom where you can check the album out if you want to do so before buying. Uh, also, there are written comments on the page on the website itself from various musical luminaries like Bumblefoot and David Ellefson. And probably the most important comments on there belong to Chris Sangarides, the legendary producer. He was originally supposed to produce this album, and he tells a great story right there on MarsAttacksRadio.com regarding why he had to step away from the project and speaking to Randy Rhodes afterwards and not receiving a very favorable review of how the album was produced. So go to MarsAttacksRadio.com and check out those comments as well. Um, and last thing, promise. Um, there's also an index so that you can go and check out anyone who's been involved in this series as of as of any episode that's been released so far or any future episodes, because there are people that have come on board and lent their comments you haven't heard yet. So if you're curious and want to check out that big, long list, you're more than welcome to do so. All right. So here we go. We're going to kick things off right now with a man I just mentioned a second ago, straight from the Garden State. Former lead singer of Hades Nonfiction, Watchtower, Autumn Hour, and a bunch of other great projects that he's been involved with. This is Mr. Alan Tecchio. The next Classic Albums episode 
will be released in a few days. It will be ACDC's Back in Black. For now, enjoy Alan's comments. Ear Pillar, the podcasting and interview news site. To keep up with your favorite bands or artists and the podcasts or interviews where they appear, go to earpillar.com to find out what we're all about. From Hades and nonfiction, lead singer Alan Tecchio. Well, again, getting back to that book about Brandy, um, you, know, you learn so much about the inner workings of the band. I didn't know that the band was supposed to be called the Blizzard of Oz, and then last minute, uh, Sharon and Ozzy, probably mostly Sharon, just hijacked it and made it an Ozzy Osbourne record and called it Blizzard of Oz. And those guys, Lee Kerslake, Bob Paisley, they had no fucking idea that it wasn't going to be a band. They didn't think it was going to be them as Ozzy's backup band. For one, Kerslake probably wouldn't have even done it, so he says in the book. Anyway, he was like, and that wasn't my idea of doing this. It was to start a new band, you know, called the Blizzard of Oz. So that, you know, when you, when you find out these dirty secrets about records that you just adore, it kind of bumps you out. But there's right. no taking away there's no taking away the magnificence of that record and of Randy Rhodes in particular. Um, you know, it was like, who is this guy? Where did he come from? I was probably a freshman in high school or around that time when it had when that record came out. And I remember my friend Rafi, God rest his soul, got me uh, into that. And I remember showing me the cover with him holding the crucifix up. I'm like, what the fuck is this devil worship stuff? You know, <laughs> but. Uh, but that was one of the first records that got me into metal, so, you know, it holds a very special place in my heart, despite all that other stuff. Mick, Sean, and James from Corners of Sanctuary. Well, I'm, I'm sure enough that at that time, everybody was, ex you know, pretty much excited about, you know, hearing what Ozzy was going to do on his own. Um, and then, you know, I mean, with what Randy Rhodes kind of brought to the realm of guitar in terms of sound and approach, I mean, just kind of, you know, pretty much brought like the american metal scene even though i know he's not american but it kind of really brought the american metal scene like to its you know i mean like i think that's what what really pushed everything forward at that time like just kind of brought it over the edge you're kind of talking about we actually were talking about this when we we're heading down to virginia about randy rose and where does he sit because there's nothing better to do in eight hour drives but <laughs> where where he sits amongst the greatest guitar players and um you know we kind of we kind of thought well you know if you compare him to some some of the other greats who cross genres you know maybe he doesn't stick out as much to the general public but from the metal scene um what he contributed as far as stylistically was um you know there was a lot of people that copied that yeah copied it for a lot of years and and again what what he what what he represented to the american metal scene you know from west coast to east coast i mean it pretty much changed what was happening absolutely no, no two ways about it. and unfortunately we don't know where he would have been placed today if if he was still alive i'm sure he would still be especially that album I think that album influenced a lot of yeah american guitar players yeah more than, you know absolutely i mean look at i mean you know as Quiet Riot went on and got, you know, uh, Carlos, mm -hmm. I mean, Carlos was almost kind of like, you know, except for that Monty Chi face. Um, I mean, he was kind of like, almost, <laughs> he, he was kind of like a, uh, like a Randy Rhodes-esque type of, you know what I'm got, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. All the hooks and all the, you know, that kind of thing, the look and, yeah. you know, 
So, I mean, you know, Doug Marks was inspired by, you know, the metal method guy and yeah, Randy Rhodes. And I mean, so it was just, I mean, he, he literally at that time, I mean, you think about it, he created what would become the iconic heavy metal guitar look. Do you know what I mean? I mean, with, with his, with his uh, Gibson V and the then v, the Jackson and the whole, V yeah. and then even the white Les Paul. Like, I mean, it, you know, because it wasn't looked at as metal so much at the time, even though a lot of these guys, you know, except for maybe Ace Frehley, but, you know, you can kind of go back and forth about how metal was Kiss or how metal they weren't. Mm -hmm. But, um, but, you know, I mean, a lot of guys were using this stuff in the studio, but it necessarily didn't kind of uh, go out that way in that. But, you know, he was using a, a, a white Les Paul, which kind of created, you know, I mean, Tommy Kiefer later on used the white Les I mean, it just it was a hot thing. Um, the the dude that I can't even think of his name. I apologize. The uh, the guy that uh, played for Dio last, uh, Aldridge. 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 I mean, he was using a white. Uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. So too, yeah. I mean, it became. You know, again, I'm not saying that that was whatever, but you see how it carried he was over. The first ones, I think, to bring those. Yeah. Like yeah. Like, I mean, he also he brought that. He. You know, I mean, since he he was trained too, which kind of changed how guitar players started looking at things. It wasn't just blues guitar players, say with like Sabbath. They were doing like blues in a metal fashion. Mm -hmm. Now we were, you know, we were taking these guys, we're, you know, exploring different scales and going past the pentatonic, more on technical aspects. Former King Diamond and Megadeth guitarist, Glenn Drover. Yeah, the Blizzard of Oz album. Story behind that one for me is that I was in a shopping mall, very young, and on the rack was Iron Maiden Killers and Blizzard of Oz, and I only had enough money to buy one. So I picked the Ozzy album, and uh, of course later getting Killers later on. But uh, I wasn't, you know, disappointed with my choice. I was so excited about. It. I remember hearing, you know, Crazy Train on the radio for the first time before I bought the record, and it's like, wow, this, this is amazing. You know, the guitar player sounds amazing, and you know, um, just a, a, a great, great lineup, great songwriting. You know, and. Um, you know that was that was the introduction to to Randy Rhodes, who was one of my favorite guitar players. So um, yeah, and I still love li listening to that album to this day. You know, after all these years, still uh, still a lot of fun to listen to that that stuff. Lord von Rathenstein of Lords of Trident. Uh, Blizzard of Oz by Ozzy Osbourne. You know, I it 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 it's funny listening back on this album now. It you know it's it's great to think that people thought of this guy as, you know, this, this satanic mastermind. And then you sort of listen to it compared to some of the things that, you know, you hear today, some of the other uh, metal albums. And it's just like, you know, it, it almost seems like sort of cute, you know, he, he's, he, and, and, and I'm not, you know, obviously Ozzy Osbourne, you know, much respect for the guy, but, uh, but it, there's a lot more evil sounding music uh, today than, than Blizzard of Oz. That being said, uh, man, what an incredible album. You have so many classic tracks on there, um, Randy Rhodes stuff. I mean, just, just really, really great uh, playing. And, you know, I, I, think, uh, I think I speak for the rest of the Lords when I say that it's definitely one of our, you know, at least top 30 albums that, you know, suddenly pay uh, homage to their Lords, you know, whether, whether, they, whether they know it or not uh, when they were creating it. Absolutely love Blizzard Vaz. The Shred Lord, Joe Stump. Um, yes, that, that's actually what I can talk about. I remember when that record came out, and you know, at the time, 
Um, you know, I always loved, um, you know, Blackmore and, Sh- and Michael Shanker and Gary Moore and, and you know, and Uli John Ross, you know, around this time period. And um, and at first, when Randy K- Rhodes came out, um, you know, a lot of people compared him to Van Halen because of the, you know, the the, the whammy bar stuff he did, plus the... Um, Plus, you know, he was like one of the few people incorporating tapping, you know, other than Van Halen. But, you know, oh, and, you know, people would kind of like say, oh, yes, he's very similar to Van Halen or whatever. But he really was nothing like like him. He, um, his influence was much more from like, you know, Gary Moore and Michael Schenker in the European school, along with, um, you know, his classical influence was much, even though Van Halen had a small classical influence, it was Randy Rhodes was much stronger. So I, I remember that record distinctly. And of course, you know, there's, there's plenty of, uh, Randy Rhodes, you know, like guitar masterpieces on that, you know, where the solos still hold up to date, you know, Mr. Crowley and Revelation Mother Earth, you know, are two that immediately come to mind. And, um, and, you know, his, you know, his disciplined approach to guitar and, you know, the fact that he double-tracked everything like that and everything was, you know, uh, um, it was really groundbreaking at the time and, you know, helped, you know, helped, uh, you know, write the blueprint for, like, other aspects of, of metal guitar that would come come after that. Okay, and you just touched on an important topic there with the tapping Eddie's known for tapping with his fingers, while Randy actually tapped with a pick. Am I mistaken with that, or is that correct? No, no, he did. He, I don't. I don't know if he always. I, I'm not like much of a Randy Rhodes expert. Granted, somebody that really knew his playing inside and out could certainly tell you that. And of course, he did tap with the pick a bunch. And um, and you know, I don't know if he only tapped with the pick or tapped with the, the pick and his fingers. I, I'm I'm not sure. But anybody that's like far more educated in like you know, in in in, in with Randy Rhodes would certainly know that. So I I don't want to say I, I don't want to say yeah he did both because I, because I don't know. <laughs> well, specifically I don't know. I I always remember seeing him playing the. Um, there's that footage from that uh, I guess show from up in Rochester, New York, where they're playing the a few tracks live and I always remember seeing him with his Les Paul doing the the beginning doing the of the pick, solo. Yeah, the side the side of the pick thing, yeah. Yeah. You so, know, and, and you can hear it, it sounds like it too. From Witchcross and Ravenstorn, Count William. Hey, I could tell you right now that uh you know, being you know, that uh, the whole Witchcross and uh Ravenstorn thing, the whole Count uh, Count Bloodwin uh musical uh, history revolves around a lot of influence from Ozzy Osbourne and Black Sabbath. But man, as a child, you know, I'd say, you know, when I was like maybe about eight or eight or nine years old, I had started off with Kiss and stuff like that. But then uh, I actually discovered uh, a 45 single of Crazy Train from Blizzard of Oz before I even knew about Black Sabbath. And uh, I had seen a lot of um, articles about Ozzy Osbourne, you know, in the same magazines that I was already starting to collect because I was trying to collect all the Kiss magazines and everything. And then all of a sudden, you know, I found out about Blizzard of Oz, you know, by getting that little 45 record. And then soon after I had a birthday or something and I got Blizzard of Oz, but I started put that record on all the time. And it's like, man, from the, from the opening 
of I don't know when that riff first hits you, you know, it's just instantly like it takes you off. It, it just takes you to another world where, you know, Ozzy's voice is just so perfect on that record. And, you know, some of the, some of the deep cuts like revelation, mother earth are just like, you know, the lyrics are, are like very deep and have a lot of meaning, you know, about the apocalypse and stuff like that. And there's also like a, a duality between good and evil and, and the struggle between sanity and, and, uh, and peace in your mind and all that throughout the whole record. You could also kind of feel, which I didn't know at the time being, you know, a kid at that time. And I didn't know about the whole history of, you know, him leaving Sabbath and all that stuff. But now when I look back at it now, you know, as an older person and having all these years of listening to that album throughout my life and, uh, and all the other albums, especially, you know, diary, but we're sticking with blizzard right now. But anyway, when you look at that, the lyrics in there, you can also kind of feel some of the sadness and the melancholy that he was experiencing, you know, by, by leaving Sabbath and being uncertain about his future and, you know, kind of walking the streets again, you know, kind of feeling, and he didn't know which way he was going with his life. And you could kind of feel that, but you could also feel the happiness and the excitement and the power of Randy Rhodes uh, influencing his mood. And also, you know, his love affair that he was going into with Sharon, you know, like on uh, when he goes, branches into, you know, certain songs. But anyway, there's like, like I said, there's a, a, a duality between sadness and, and euphoria and, uh, and good and evil and, you know, delving into the mysteries of the occult with the, you know, the mysteries of Aleister Crowley and Mr. Crowley and, you know, just all different feelings in the work is just out of this world and then later you know as being becoming a huge Aussie fan you know next thing you know I'm collecting diary and speak of the devil and all that and then I started getting into Sabbath around the same time and then I was going backwards for a couple years just you know digging deeper into the the earlier Black Sabbath I almost started getting more into that and forgetting about the Aussie solo stuff which I loved so much but uh, I still love both actually now but yeah, that album is like on my top 10 of the most influential metal albums of my life, I'd have to say, vocally and musically. Um, it influenced my singing style throughout my whole life after that. I mean, I used to practice to that album for hours a day, you know, and I still feel like I've got a lot of influence in my vocal style from that album and from some of Ozzy's other albums, too. Josh Christian of Toxic. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, Wizard of Oz, Wizard of Oz was a landmark album. Um, right when that came out, metal was sort of really just coming into its own. Up until that point, the category of heavy metal was kind of broad and really included a lot of things that weren't really heavy metal um, and or what you consider by today's standard, especially metal. And that was like an early especially, uh, again, from an American perspective, especially, that was a first metal album. That was one of the first records that I felt really brought the genre uh, into focus. And then right behind that, you know, came a string of other releases like Iron Maiden and Scorpions, uh, Judas Priest, and there was just, you know, it opened the floodgates. But that was one of the, you know, pioneering albums for heavy metal as a genre. 
and uh, it was a it was an anthem album for a, a whole generation. Mine being that generation. From Diamond Lane, Brandon Bowman. Wow, in terms of the Blizzard of Oz album, I mean, I think that kind of set the tone for the rest of Ozzy's career. I'm pretty much sure everybody wrote him off upon his departure from Black Sabbath, but what an ultimate statement to come out with this as your first solo record, let alone the band being absolutely amazing. I mean, what can be said about Randy Rhodes that hasn't been said a thousand times, but just the songs, the construction, the delivery, getting introduced to this new Aussie sound, very powerful stuff. Personally, I don't know is one of my very favorite Aussie tracks of all time. And we've actually been incorporating that into our sets, uh, some of the shows this past year on the road. So that's been a lot of fun. Gotten a great response from the audience with that one. Tom Potter of Gun Driver. Um, no, I mean, obviously with, with Ozzy, like, you, you know, one of the founders of heavy metal, dude, and has always had uh, right-hand guitar players who just, like, were killer uh, songwriters and uh, riff writers, which, you know, I, I mean, it, it kind of goes hand-in-hand hand when you go, go with the genre. In addition to great lead players and, and great showmen, and uh, off this album, you know, you got the classic uh, Crazy Train, which you know it, it might be a little bit cliche for you know because it's so easy and it's such a popular song song to pick. But uh, I was lucky enough to catch Gus G's band in Europe uh, about a month and a half ago, and they they closed out the set with uh, their set with with Crazy Train. And it was just you know good to see that you know like metal's come a long way in you know 40 years, but the same token. Uh, really picked up, uh, you know, you know, the lineage of metal and hard rock, and you know, there's certain things that transcend, uh, you know, some of the time periods and genres. That, you know, people went nuts uh, when I started playing. You know, by the way, they did a killer job, and they got a killer singer with uh, Matt uh, Levin, and uh, you know, so that's one of my favorites off that album. But uh, also, in I think he got you know negative press because of the name, but I love Suicide Solution. You know, I just think it's a killer tune, and the the vocal line, and it's it's just it's just amazing. It's just, you know got such a great groove, uh, in addition to the the rest of the album. You know, the host of One on One with Mitch, talking metal digital's own Mitch Lafon. Oh, the blizzard! What can you say about that? I mean, uh, here you have a drunk who was thrown out of his band, and he came back and made one of the greatest rock records ever. And sort of like Heaven and Hell, that album uh, made it that Ozzy Osbourne is still relevant in 2011. Had he not made uh, Diary and Blizzard, he, he too would have been one of these forgotten heroes from way back when. He, his career would have, would have ended right there. And I mean, you know, Crazy Train. Who hasn't heard Crazy Train at a ballpark or at right. a football stadium? And, and you know, Randy Rhodes. Randy Rhodes. I mean, you know, that album and, and Diary introduced us to Randy. And it spawned a whole new generation of guys who wanted to be guitar gods. And they based their whole guitar godness on the music contained on Blizzard and Diary. And, you know, again, it, it upped the ante. Going into the 80s and hair metal and the whole thing, there were a lot of albums that had that Randy Rhodes guitar influence 
to it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the album also had its share of controversy with Suicide Solution. And uh, it, it, was, it was the album that Ozzy needed to make at that time. And it, too, like Heaven and Hell, was a career saver. And you have to remember that when you look at um, Ozzy and Black Sabbath, they both should have just disappeared. And it was like the competition. They were competing with each other. And it seemed as though they were trying to outdo each other. And they both succeeded in making four of the greatest rock albums ever made. Mob Rules, Diary, Blizzard, Heaven and Hell. And it was all done in that short time span, you know, between 80 and 83 kind of thing. And those four albums have changed the rock world almost more than any albums ever made. I mean, you look at people like Zach Wilde and, and what Kiss started doing after that and what Judas Priest started doing after that and, and Iron Maiden and Anthrax and Metallica. They were all touched by those four albums. Right. And a bigger rock single than Crazy Train it's almost unimaginable. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, 2011, crazy, strain, crazy Train still sounds perfectly fresh. Brett's Blackouts of Van Lake. Blizzard of Oz, let's see. I remember I bought it uh, probably middle school. I bought that and Quiet Riot Mental Health on the same day. So I always kind of put those two together. But um, I don't know. That's It's always been my favorite Ozzy album. I think his voice was at at its peak on that one. And I think the songwriting was just really incredible for, and for a first album for his solo, it's, it's just outstanding. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's not really much else to say. The guitar work is incredible. His voice. I think, like I said, his voice was at its peak right then. Um, my favorite tracks probably, I don't know the first track. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's all I got for that one. Good album. From Australia, Death Dealers and Blasted to Statics, Stu Marshall. I think um, one of the greatest albums of all time, uh, Bob Daisley is actually living out here in Australia at the moment. And uh, I think I think it's worth mentioning, you know, that a lot of your listeners would understand how important Bob Daisley was to that album. Um, but, yeah, I think it's an album that's almost impossible to, to fault uh, Randy in his prime and uh, it actually sounds like a band that really wants to be together, that particular lineup. But uh, yeah, Bob's one of the greatest songwriters, uh, I think, in, in rock and metal history. So props to him. The man that continues to shred the envelope, Dave Raffet. So Ozzy, uh, Blizzard of Oz, huge, huge, huge influence on me and so many people. I mean, you can hear it. Randy brought classical music into um, metal, you know, and... Uh, I mean, you can't argue with the songs on it, man. I Don't Know and Crazy Train and Goodbye to Romance is another favorite of mine. What strikes me about Randy so much is um, he really encapsulates what I like to see in solos. I mean, like, because I think of solos as, like, a great solo should be, like, a song within a song. You know, it should be, like, its own little song. And, like, Goodbye to Romance, for instance, that one just, like, when it hits you, 
stands out and just really takes you somewhere. He's just such a killer player, um, his phrasing, and his tone as well. I mean, he has a very unique tone. When you hear that stuff, you know it's Randy. And I remember, I think Max Norman, I was reading an interview with him. Uh, He produced this record, if I'm not mistaken. And um, he went on to work on a lot of the great Megadeth albums, you know, Countdown to Extinction and stuff like that. And he was talking about when he mic'd Randy, he would mic Randy the traditional way. He would put, you know, mics all over the cab, but also he would put, like, you know, mics in the corner of the, you know, the ceiling or mics way over, you know, 20 feet away or a mic over here, a mic over there, and add it to the mix, which is really interesting. And, and I used some of that kind of technique on my album as well. Um and it's very effective on this uh, Blizzard of Oz record because like the, the the guitar sound is huge. You know, it's just like when those solos kick in, like on Crazy Train or something like that, it just takes over the whole track and just really makes a statement. And um, I just got invited to play um, December 13th. It's going to be in, in Hollywood at the uh, the Rhodes Fest, whatever it's called. I think it's called. And that's going to be pretty cool. Like it's um, some of Randy Rhodes' families there, you know, Kelly Rhodes and a bunch of them, and uh, I'm going to be doing three or four tunes. That's going to be really fun. It's it's a great honor to be asked. And um, I'm still thinking about what songs I want to do. I'm thinking I'll do uh, Over the Mountain or something like that. And Goodbye to Romance would be another one that's killer. I love that. Um, Steal Away the Night, one of my favorite Aussie songs ever. Like I, I just love the, the intensity of that track. I, I just... Um, He's playing, man. Just killer. What else can you say? Fantastic. He's written a million and one books about hard rock and metal. Martin Popov. I always considered Blizzard of Oz. Um, you know, a lot of people think it's just one of the greatest Aussie albums of all time or the super great Aussie album. Never understood that. I think it's got so much kind of crappy filler on it. I thought um, Crazy Train sounded a little bit like a disco song. Uh, no Bone Movies is on there. Suicide Solution, nothing nothing special. To me, the great Aussie albums are the second and the third Aussie. Um, you know, one, of course, with Randy, one not with Randy, but that's perfectly fine as well. Um, but no, I just thought this album was a little bit, it, it has a harsh, strange recording. You can hear a great chemistry in this band, but I think it's uh, it's kind of shockingly commercial in a lot of ways. Um, and I thought the second album was was way heavier, and the third album was also really heavy. So I think Blizzard of Oz is an overrated album. From Racer X, Jeff Martin. Oh, it's got my, one of my favorite drummers of all time, Lee Kerslick. And uh, I just kind of loved what he did. Well, obviously, you got Randy Rhodes on there that's, changed helped change the face of metal guitar work forever and uh but i i remember when hearing first hearing that album that lee and i'm a real big uriah heap fan so having lee kerslick on uh, come out on with another band and you know kind of re-energizing his his whole thing even though he's just a side guy and even though he's not even on the any of the new tracks i guess they they re redid all of his stuff so they didn't have to pay him anymore. <laughs> Some crazy crap like that. Thank you, uh, Ozzy's wife. <laughs> Sharon. Sharon is, is the manager from hell. But anyway, um, yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, all those songs. And, and having Ozzy uh, 
resurface himself like that too and come out with such a killer album. And then you hear about the, I mean, one of my favorite photos of Ozzy is him with his eyeball to the side with blood trickling down the side of his mouth, just bit the head off of a dove. Uh, while, while all the, uh, while all the PR people sat in amazement and horror. <laughs> so that that's my that's my take on that album. Yeah, that that picture's definitely iconic. There's one lady like right behind him where it looks well, like she she's a, sat down sat. on her lap and bit, and bit the head off of the dove and then the dove landed on his leg, he grabs it, bites it and then cocks his eye to the side like that. Just amazing. Oh, I gotta get the t-shirt someday. The man has done everything. Fanzines, various podcasts, and is the director and producer for the documentary Inside LA Metal. Bob Nalbendian. One of the biggest reasons why I wanted to talk to you about Blizzard of Oz is because I I think a lot of people, uh, and, and maybe through the Inside Metal series that you're doing, maybe people are looking at this in a different light, but I think that this Ozzy solo album... A lot of people discount what an L.A. influence it had because obviously, you know, Randy was involved, but there were so many other players that were in and out of the band before, you know, the album was recorded that were from that L.A. scene. Yeah, well, apparently Dana Strum was very um, uh, instrumental in that whole process of getting the guitar players and I guess he ultimately turned Ozzy on to uh, Randy. Um, right. You know, and uh, there were, you know, Ozzy was living in L.A. at the time and he was very influenced by that whole L.A. scene and even the whole Black Sabbath thing. I mean, um, you know, as we're, you know, uh, just I was just going over some of the uh, uh, footage for the second episode with Ron Keel. And I totally forgot, you know, that he actually was a member of Black Sabbath for a minute or two with Steeler. You right. Know? Uh, he joined, you know, I. Audition right after Ian Gillen, and he supposedly had the contract signed and everything, but it was, you know, Spencer proffered it, you know, uh, that deal went sour, so that nothing ended up happening there. But there was a big influence on, on LA at the time. All the bands were coming to LA, you know, whether it be Kiss or Ozzy or, or uh, you know, Sabbath or, you know, Dio got his musician from LA when he formed his solo band. So, I think in the early 80s, and, and the Starwood was a big part of that scene. Um, a lot of those bands, you know, uh, you know, Kiss scouted out uh, uh, George Lynch before they scouted out Eddie Van Halen. And, you know, Stephen Quadros tells a story. We, we added it to the deleted scenes because it didn't quite fit the movie. But he went into a whole big thing where he auditioned for Kiss before um, Eric Carr got the gig, uh, I guess, before the... Um, uh, Elder album, and uh, right. so it's obvious these bands were, you know, scouting out the Starwood and a lot of the LA clubs at the time, uh, because you know, just talking to a lot of these guys, they said, "Oh yeah, I auditioned for so and so," and so and so. I go, "Really?" You know, and they go, "Yeah, they came out and saw me at the Starwood and whatnot." So that's interesting because Ozzy, for so many years, there have been. You know, rumors of Alex Skolnick being in his band for about a second and trying out Michael Schenker and even Bernie Torme, who was only in the band for a few months. It's interesting to, you know, find out. And I'm sure it's interesting for you to interview these people and find out, you know, that maybe they had auditioned or had someone 
go out and check them out live where they there could have been a possibility that one of these guys could have fit into one of these bands that's you know extremely historic sure sure and it was you know a huge boost uh, obviously for randy rhodes and his career and ultimately quiet riot too i think that built them some uh not just some notoriety but um just uh some some cred in in the metal community you know after randy joined uh ozzy you know people went back to quiet riot and the funny thing is quiet riot were more or less a pop band a hard rock right. pop band they weren't in, in in any terms metal and then you know you see kevin debro coming out with metal health and you know kevin debro was never he into the whole metal thing you know and then uh, you know, Quiet Riot comes out with that album and they become a, a metal band. But before that, they weren't. But, you know, even uh, Debro had talked about in, in different interviews that he would have conversations with Randy Rhodes and Randy would talk about, you know, bands like Motorhead and this whole big headbanging thing that's going on in, uh, in England. And it's a huge thing out here and all these underground, you know, new wave of British heavy metal bands and, you know, people would go cut out cardboard guitars and, and jam around at, at uh, you know, these clubs like Neil K's Soundhouse. And, and I think Kevin took a lot of that and uh, applied that to, you know, Quiet Riot and, and seeing that, you know, eventually this wave is going to hit, you know, America and L.A., which it did. That's interesting, though, because like you're saying, when Randy was in the band, they really didn't take that direction. What do you think sparked him to change direction was it randy going to ozzy was it just seeing other bands around him well i think definitely randy going to ozzy and and hooking i remember um this is a thing uh you know uh which is true and uh you know uh, uh bob daisley has said this many a times blizzard of oz was a band it wasn't really a solo blizzard of oz was the name of the band featuring ozzy osbourne uh but you got to remember that that it was the whole band was an incredibly talented band, Lee Kerslake, Bob Daisley, and of course, Randy Rhodes. And it was a band effort. You know, they, uh, you know, Bob and Lee and Randy did all the writing of the music and the lyrics, you know, uh, uh, primarily. And, uh, you know, Ozzy would come up with certain ideas here and there, but it was definitely a band effort. And I think it was the accumulation of, of all those guys. And uh, I think Randy, you know, knew how to, you know, uh, obviously knew how to play metal. And, you know, if, if you listen back to old, you know, Quiet Riot and hear their old, or watch some of their old footage when he was in the band playing the Starwood, his uh, guitar solos and stuff was 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 very metal, you know. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the songs and the tunes were very poppy. So you could definitely see there was a, a metal side and, and a, uh, uh, you know, as Carlos Cavazzo describes in the movie, a darker side of Randy that came out when he joined Ozzy. And I think he knew to adapt. He knew Ozzy was in Black Sabbath and he knew to uh, adapt more to that style. And I'm sure that's, you know, something. And of course, Bob Daisley coming, you know, right out of Rainbow and, you know, uh, uh, you know, and, and Lee Kerslake being in Uriah Heep and, you know, they were all, you know, heavy metal alumni. So, uh, and Randy was really the newcomer just coming out of this virtually unknown, you know, LA local band, you know, that didn't really have metal cred. It was more of a pop band, but I think, uh, 
you know, just adding his classical influence added so much to that, you know, Mr. Crowley and some of the other stuff that really um, gave that uh, a European sound, like a Richie Blackmore kind of, you know, given a, a real dark classical influence, which you didn't get a lot. Of. And that was, I think, what which uh, differentiated Randy from like the Eddie Van Halen. Eddie Van Halen was very known for that L.A. sound, you know, that L.A. guitar sound. But I think Randy Rhodes had a lot more classical and uh, especially in Ozzy, a little bit of a darker edge. Right. And as far as the scene was concerned back then, what type of uh, like hype, if any, was third when when he jumped into um, Ozzy's band? Was it a big deal on the scene that uh, he was going to play with Ozzy? You know, I was young. I wasn't really a part of uh, – I, I wasn't going out to shows yet. I was probably like um, – what was that, 1980? So, uh, yeah, I was like, um, you know, 15 or so um, uh, when that – uh, you know, well, you know what was interesting is, is you know, that album was out on a British import for right. nearly a year before it came to America, and that was right at the time I was really getting into imports because that was when the new wave of British heavy metal, you know, Motorhead, you know, there were a few domestic releases like you know Ace of Spades and Wheels of Steel by Saxon and the first Iron Maiden album and. Of course, Depp Leppard on through the night, but you know, at that point, you know, uh, Samson and Angel Witch, all these great new wave of British heavy metal bands, and Raven uh, were were coming out on on imports. So, I was really keen to the import scene. Not too many people were, and so uh, the the Blizzard of Oz in America was very underground. A lot of the hardcore Sabbath bands and other people got wind of it, but it wasn't until it came out domestically, you know, several months later that uh there was talk about it and i remember people talking about you know this you know this kid from la randy rhodes and this and that i think when that album first came out i, I wasn't even aware of it when it was out that randy rhodes was from quiet riot until probably a, a few months later and they go oh yeah that's the the guy from quiet riot you know so right. Uh, you know, and, and my, I'm sure on the local scene and in and the Starwood in that circuit, it was a huge thing. You know, because here's this guy. You know, you know Van Halen already got catapulted to to you know arena status, and this was a time LA still wasn't signing the hard rock bands, and and then uh, you know Quiet Riot did everything. They they were around you know at the same time Van Halen was since the uh, mid '70s. They never got any break they only got the the deal in uh, japan so here you know randy leaves quiet riot and boom he's an aussie so i think that definitely sparked interest in the la circuit uh, especially amongst guitar players you know and i think it kind of opened up the eyes uh, of the industry to see wow there really is talent going on in la because soon after i think i think a lot of people don't realize that aussie's involvement it was so huge in the LA scene because Ozzy was almost a part of that whole LA scene, you know, with, with, you know, having uh, Randy Rhodes in the band. And that really sparked the interest of the uh, record industry to take notice of LA because it wasn't soon after that, that Motley Crue got signed and, uh, you know, George Lynch and, and, and Dawkins and rat and all these bands. And I think, you know, a lot of people give credit to, uh, 
you know, Motley and to uh, Quiet Riot, but really I think it was Ozzy, the Blizzard of Oz record that really sparked the initial attention because Randy Rhodes, you know, from Quiet Riot. And I think that really got people, uh, you know, because after Van Halen got signed, it was just kind of like, oh, it's kind of okay, Van Halen, now New Wave and Punk is coming over. By the time, you know, uh, Blizzard of Oz came out, you know, New Wave and Punk, and that was starting to die off. And then I think uh, that really sparked an interest in the whole L.A. metal scene. So that album was very instrumental in in, in so many, uh, not just, uh, you know, a lot of people consider that a, a big part of the New Wave of British Heavy Metal that sparked the New Wave of British Heavy Metal here in America, which it did somewhat. I mean, the first Aussie tour, you know, Motorhead opened up for them. Right, and uh, there was a lot of uh, uh, interest in that, and he, you know, Ozzy really kind of got clumped into the uh, kind of the new wave of British heavy metal bands, but it really was almost a, an LA band uh, at the time because I believe the whole band were pretty much living in Los Angeles during that time. Right, and the the thing that people point out, I mean, Van Halen was was huge, uh, obviously, and and I think. What was great with your first volume of Inside uh, LA Metal is that Van Halen really took place in, what, 76, 77? So there were a bunch of years that went by until people did take notice of the scene again. And there were so many great things that you featured uh, in your documentary. The, the one thing that always sort of stood out in my mind was a transition of someone like Carlos from Snow into Quiet Riot filling Randy's shoes. I mean, everyone talks about how Randy wasn't Quiet Riot, but no one ever talks about how Snow was so big in L.A. And really, you know, one of their main components jumps over to Quiet Riot. Sure, and I think that has a lot to do with Quiet Riot going so much heavier uh, in a sense, because Snow was one of the heaviest uh, L.A. bands at that time, at least in 79 and stuff. You know, you know, this is pre Motley and, 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 and Rat and Wasp and all that stuff. And Snow were, um, you know, uh, when that EP came out in 1980, that was that was, you know, uh, you know, kind of a step above as far as heaviness, you know, a step above Van Halen and stuff. And. Uh, so, yeah, they were definitely a heavy band. And I think that brought in uh, a lot, uh, you know, uh, you know, a lot of metal cred because Snow were a big band. And once Carlos joined in and, you know, you got to remember after Randy left, there were there were other guitar players. You know, Greg Leon was a part of, De you know, after Randy left, Kevin went out as Debro. He changed it from Quiet Riot to Debro and had uh, Greg Leon and also Mitch Perry played in the band for for a time. I think uh, for a while it was actually a five-piece with both Mitch and Greg Leon on guitar. So there were even guitar players before, you know, uh, 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 Carlos joined with with uh, 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 Metal Health. So, uh, but yeah, I think Carlos joining was, um, you know, uh, a lot of people did know Carlos from Snow. So it, you know, it wasn't like it was just some newcomer joining in. And of course... Uh, uh, you know, Rudy Sarzo and, and Frankie Benelli. Benelli had been on, around the L.A. circuit. He played in Monarch, you know, Michael Monarch from uh, um, who was in Detective and also, of course, in Steppenwolf. And so uh, he had been on the scene since, you know, uh, the late 70s. So all, all these guys were, were definitely a, a huge part of the L.A. scene, you know, from from the late 70s. 
And I think, um, you know, again, I think Ozzy was aware of of of, of all this uh, that was going on, as all the uh, European musicians were. You know, a lot of the uh, uh, musicians from Zeppelin to you name it used to hang out at the Starwood, and and uh, even beforehand, Rodney's English Disco. Uh, you know, so it, it was a big, um, you know, uh, uh, spawning ground for a lot of uh, the British musicians. Frankie has actually said that um, that he actually auditioned for Ozzy and had had the um, spot for a little bit. I'm actually trying to get him to come on. He actually um, there, there's a Lost Talking Metal episode where he actually went through the whole story of being part of Ozzy's band and everything. And uh, that particular episode never reached podcast format because the studio where they were recording. The um the hard drive they recorded on shit the bed while they were recording. Oh, I, yes, I had heard that before, and and I had heard that Ozzy was working with a lot of different guitar players. Who who else did I hear? Well, of course, you know George Lynch, as everyone knows, and he was obviously a popular guy on the LA circuit with Exciter, and so Ozzy was definitely looking, you know, at, at a lot of different uh, uh, guitar players, and George Lynch. Uh, I, I believe he he auditioned twice, you know, before Randy and after Randy, uh, and, right. and both was too crazy. Um, uh, Chris Holmes was another guy. He talks in the movie. He auditioned uh, for Ozzy uh, the same time uh, uh, Randy did because Chris was uh, uh, in a, in a band. Um, uh, the uh, ah, name escapes me now, but he was in in quite a few bands before Wasp, and uh, he talks about how. Uh, you know, he auditioned there, and uh, then, you know, next thing you know, he heard Randy, you know, took off to England with him to record. So uh, so they were definitely, you know, auditioning quite a few L.A. Uh, guitarists and, and likely drummers and uh, bass players. You know, they ended up getting Rudy Sarzo after, uh, you know, um, Bob Daisley. So, you know, right. and then it almost became an L.A. band uh, uh, after that, pretty much. <laughs> Interesting. I, I wonder how much of a say Ozzy had in picking the musicians and how much Don Arden actually had uh, a hand in picking who ultimately became part of the band. Hey, I think it was Don. I think uh, well, Don was set here in L.A. with Jet Records. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he had his L.A. office here and there was a lot that was going on in L.A. And, of course, Black Sabbath were working with a lot of... Uh, you know, L.A. guys at the time, you know, Dave Donato, all these different singers after, you know, Ronnie had left and after, you know, Ian had left. And so there was always, um, you know, uh, guys, uh, you know, Ray Gillen uh, that were coming in for, through, you know, from the L.A. circuit. So, uh, uh, you know, of course, Jakey Lee after joining Ozzy. So. L.A. was was a big, you know, uh, thing, especially when it came to guitar players that uh, uh, but I think Randy was a really one, you know, Ozzy and Randy that really start sparked the interest. And that's when, you know, of course, Dio was coming over to uh, I don't know if that's why. But, you know, after that, you see, you know, uh, all these, you know, major a musician from major bands, you know, Ronnie James Dio, fresh out of Sabbath. He comes to L.A. to get, you know, a, a lot of his his musicians and uh, uh, so on and so forth. So, yeah, absolutely. 
That's interesting. It just dawned on me speaking to you that Ronnie also went the route with the rainbow bass player as well. <laughs> with uh, Bob Daisley? Bob Daisley and Jimmy Bain. Jimmy Bain was in, in rainbow previous uh, oh. to uh, joining Dio. So th- there are a, l- a bunch of different parallels that can be drawn between Ozzy and, and Dio, not only from Sabbath, but their solo, their, their initial solo bands picking from musicians that were out there in L.A. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, Dio always, uh, you know, it's funny because Dio, uh, I remember interviewing Dio in 83 when the debut album came out, uh, which was like my first major interview. Uh, And I was 16 then. No, I was, yeah, 17, I think, at the time. And he talked about uh, how he preferred, because I asked him about Vivian Campbell, because I was a big fan of Sweet Savage. And he said, uh, uh, you know, he came out to L.A., and was checking out the LA musicians, but he really liked the British working with British musicians, you know, from, you know, especially working with like Blackmore and he liked their approach, uh, their musical approach. So he specifically wanted to get a guitar player, um, from, uh, Ireland, England or Ireland, uh, as, as Vivian was, uh, which right. I thought was kind of interesting, but you know, after that, it, he ended up getting just all LA guys from Craig Goldie onward, you know, uh, right. to Doug Aldridge, to whoever. And uh, after that, his, his band was exclusively L.A. But, yeah, it's it's interesting because, um, you know, in, in the late 70s, you know, uh, punk and new wave kind of dominated L.A. So the hard rock, it was it was really publicly and, and media-wise kind of silenced. But there was still a huge scene, a club scene in L.A. With, I mean, all the musicians were still around and they were still playing, and, uh, you know, they just weren't getting quite the attention because everything was focused on this new wave and, and, and punk thing. So I think once, once you know, Randy Rhodes broke out with Ozzy, that brought a lot more attention, you know, as I said before, to uh, not just the L.A. scene, but L.A. musicians. You know, people were going, oh, wow, there's some you know great players here in L.A. Absolutely. He was part of Watchtower, Dangerous Toys, Broken Teeth, and a plethora of other projects. Jason McMaster. Where do I start? I mean, that's, uh, I've got political opinions about that record. I've got, well, just uh, dive in. Uh, I was lucky enough to actually record uh the first dangerous toys record with the same producer of blizzard of oz max norman right so i got to hear randy stories and ozzy stories and all kinds of shit so that was pretty awesome uh the record sort of well it's at least it's one of many but it's it's uh there wasn't like a plethora of records that actually straddled the line of like pop radio and you know underground heavy metal i mean sure black sabbath was a charting band and a major touring band and uh rose quickly to a classic band but when ozzy you know was let go from sabbath and created his own thing in between doing shots um he created something really wild yet very uh mass appealing right and i think that that's an incredible moment 
uh, for rock music and heavy metal for sure. Uh, Crazy Train is on car commercials and shit now. Really strange. But um, I think that it's fantastic. And um, the record is, uh, there's not a bad song on it. I think that as far as even the sound, you know, the production of the record, I really feel like uh, that had a lot to do with my first comment, you know, about how the songs and the the ideas uh, really straddled the line of, you know, dark lyrics, Mr. Crowley and, you know, going crazy and the other side of life that uh, people who listen to the radio, because I don't really listen to the radio, um, you know, can can fantasize about while they're at work or in their car or whatever, you know, it's a different uh, placement in their head, you know, uh, than just, you know, whatever working man's music comes on the radio. So, um, the, the idea that Sharon Osbourne thought it was a real good idea to re-record the bass and the drums just because she was angry with Bob Daisley, who wrote all of those songs, calling her with his, through his lawyer, I'm sure, just trying to get paid. Hey, I'm just trying to get paid. You guys haven't paid me in a while. I'm just trying to get a check, you know. But she gets pissed and had, you know, pays probably, here's a million for you and a million for you to Mike Borden and Robert Trio to go in and re-record the bass and the drums on what, on a record that's pretty much considered a Bible to and, and a classic. It's like, yeah, you know, we're, we're mad at, uh, at uh, John Paul Jones and uh, John Bonham. We're just going to go in and re-record the drums and the bass on all the Led Zeppelin records. See what I'm trying to say? Does that sound smart to you? <laughs> no, it sounds like It sounds like blasphemy to me. It sounds like a, it's a cardinal sin. So that's a drag that that even has to be part of uh, the annals of rock history that she did that. I mean, they, those have been since pulled off the shelf, but I just couldn't believe it. You know, that it's like karaoke. Let's turn this into a karaoke record. You know, hey, who else wants to play bass on this? <laughs> so there's a lot of, you know, a lot of mysterious, ridiculous things about that record that, uh, people may or may not know about. For the most part, just on face value, it's, it's an incredible moment, and uh, songwriting is great. You know, Ozzy did a great job considering the shape he was in drug-wise. So. He taught Madonna how to reach a new level, Monty Pittman. I had read online that you'd previously had Kelly Rhodes, Randy Rhodes' brother, play on uh, one of your albums. Um, next month, I'm actually featuring the Blizzard of Oz as a uh, classic album on um, my podcast, oh, yeah. and I just wanted to, you know, get your comments on uh, Randy Rhodes playing and what the Blizzard of Oz uh, means to you. Yeah, well, uh, Kelly and I became friends because I used to take lessons from them all, and Kelly and I started taking <laughs> piano lessons at the same time. So I took piano and, and music theory. Or I, I, I was really taking the music theory, but through the piano. And then Kelly right. has stayed with it, and he's gotten really good. 
And um, he, he was a singer. He used to be the singer, and you know, because Randy played guitar. Right. And, the, you know, there's a lot. I, now listening back, if you listen back to Blizzard of Oz, I hear so many things that that I've heard from Dolores Rhodes. It's like a it's like a certain information, I guess you could say, or a different approach to looking at the notes, or a different way of um, of, of thinking about the notes. It's just a different thought process. And um, Kelly's got that information too. And the he recorded he did uh, he did piano on three songs on Pain, Love, and Destiny. And we used we recorded there in Usonia on the piano that their mom learned how to play on, which is really cool. That's the piano that you hear in the album. And um, so Kelly and I have, you know, become really good friends over the, you know, this is what, you know, almost 15 years ago when all that started. And, um, but Blizzard of Oz is, you know, that is, it's, a, it's not something that, you may even see ever happen again where you have someone, you know, like Ozzy coming out of Black Sabbath, but then doing where you think that, you know, it's all over, but then having their solo album become, you know, just massive and, and groundbreaking. And, you know, a lot of music that happened in the 80s, a lot of the guitar players, if you listen back, you know, they got a lot of those techniques and a lot of those tricks from listening to Randy. Sure, there there are a lot of thrash players that I know harken back to, say, uh, Revelation Mother Earth as being, you know, the pinnacle of, you know, a lot of the, the thrash movement and how song structures were created after that. At least that's what I've read you know, over the years. Yeah, and a lot of that came from, you know, his classical sort of training, I guess you could say, or, the, you know, that approach to the notes. You know, there's only so many notes. It's what you're saying with those notes and the what combination of notes you're putting together. Like, one of the things that he's mo- that Randy's most known for, uh, like the Mr. Crowley solo, uses the harmonic minor scale. And so you would get... You know, a lot of people started doing that afterwards. Still now, you know, which is something you didn't really hear a lot of. We didn't hear Hendrix play that scale a lot, or maybe he did, and it was you know it was kind of hidden. But that was all kind of back then. It was all kind of blues stuff. And if you look at the progression of how music's turned into one thing or another. You know, it comes from taking the blues and just how far can you take it? And that's how we have, you know, the, the rock music that we have. And it's putting other elements in there. Now, had Randy only listened to one kind of music, that may have never happened. You know, if he only listened to Slayer, and that was it. I know Slayer didn't exist then, but... <laughs> And I'm sure he influenced them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Like if you go back and listen to you know a lot of uh, Iron Maiden and Judas Priest, you hear a lot of you know, kind of ideas that Slayer took and elaborated on. You know, one thing always turns into another. There's a saying that I like to use a lot: is you got to take the music past where you found it. The mastermind behind Iced Earth, John Schaefer. 
another great album, man. Those first two Ozzy albums are the Diary of Madman is my favorite of the two. Okay. But uh, I I love both of those albums, and obviously uh, that's Randy Rhodes had a lot to do with that. Right. Uh, and the, the band did. I mean, Ozzy got a lot of credit, but I think the band, that original band, was pretty fucking badass. Yeah. Those albums are very magical. We were just yeah. discussing that with the White Wizard guys. There's just something about it, regardless yeah. of how many years later, how the technology has changed or whatnot. That album, the original vinyl mix on that, oh, yeah. just has something about it that is timeless. Yep, I agree a thousand percent. You know, both of them. You know, both of, yeah. the, the, both albums. But yeah, it's killer stuff. The man that has played with all your favorite bands, Gene Hoagland. Blizzard of Oz. It's a fantastic record. I loved it. It it just it had such. I mean, uh, Randy Rhodes was just such a breath of fresh air on on the scene. You know, you had Eddie Van Halen was the shredder, and then Randy Rhodes came along with a kind of neo classical sort of style. And I was real familiar with the Quiet Riot stuff he had done. You know, they even remade you know Slick Black Cadillac on that Metal Health record. And um, right. You know, I was real familiar with the early Quiet Riot stuff. My sister used to go see them, you know, play the Palomino when I was a kid. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, Randy just, you know, he it seemed like he really took the, okay, Ozzy is from Black Sabbath, uh, you know, a, a very gothic-sounding band, very evil-sounding band. I'm going to write to the best of my ability to try to top their stuff. And shit, he did, you know, I... If it comes down to Heaven and Hell or Blister of Oz, both came out within, you know, weeks of each other, I believe, um, mm-hmm. you, know, or, you know, a couple of months at the most, Blister of Oz was my action. I never was a big fan of Lee Kerslake, their drummer. Um, okay. He, he just seemed very, just, he, he was a very capable drummer. Um, when they got Tommy Aldridge, when Ozzy got Tommy Aldridge then, I was like, oh, you have my attention. And, I definitely <laughs> learned how to play drums from Tommy Aldrich, like the, the Pat Travers "Go for What You Know" album, their live album. That that you know that was a drum lesson for me. I played that album to death when I was a kid, just air drumming it and playing it on the drums and stuff like that. And the 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 Speak of the Devil record was a big influence on me just because it had Tommy Aldrich on it. And um, right. And when they put out the um, I remember taping a radio show on like the Westwood One Network or whatever. Um, right after I, you know, I'd seen the Blizzard of Oz tour, Motorhead was on their Ace of Spades album, um, and Ace of Spades wasn't even released yet. Ace of Spades got released a week to the day after I saw Motorhead the first time opening for Ozzy, and that was a <laughs> that was a that was a, a lightning broad moment for me seeing Motorhead I couldn't it was, I was on the fence like is this the greatest band I've ever seen or the absolute shittiest um, <laughs> so in my 12 year old mind I'm like fuck it these guys are the shit you know um, <laughs> and you know I loved Motorhead after that but I sure I couldn't I didn't know what to make of them they were opening for Ozzy but I remember in October of 1981, uh, I taped, you know, hey, tonight on the King Biscuit Flower Hour, Ozzy, you know, Ozzy Osbourne. And I remember him playing 
two songs off the Diary of a Madman record, which were uh, Flying High, again, and mm-hmm. uh, Believer. And I had just seen them like, a couple of months before, so these songs were still kind of fresh in my head. And I was like, hey, they're, you know, I could have been at this show, because this is the exact same set list they're playing. Later on, right. that, that Westwood One recording became the tribute record for... For, yeah. for Randy and I was like I was really proud to like hey man I've had this album for five years already on the set so uh, <laughs> but uh, you know there are so many great moments on Wizard of Oz and the Diary of a Madman that if you were to uh, call both albums both both albums strong tracks um, that would have been like the ultimate metal album you know Uh I don't know, Mr. Crowley, Revelation Mother Earth, uh, Steal Away. Uh, you know, I always like those up-tempo songs. And all, and, yeah. You know, so they had enough of those on the record. And then, you know, on Diary of a Madman, the title track, Over the Mountain. Holy fuck, what, what a great lead. And, that, you know, that whole record, that whole, you know, Over the Mountain, Sado, you know, just all those great mm-hmm. tracks. So, uh you know, just a, a really strong, vital, important part of metal history goes into both of those albums. And, you know, then then they got Jakey Lee. Then they turned into an L.A. Uh, pitch harmonic fest. You know, Jakey Lee was no Randy Rhodes. I always thought, like, when Randy passed away, I always thought that the guitarist of the band Warlord Remember those guys, the Deliver Us album? Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought he would have made a great, what's his name, Bill Stolito, I think. I think his name was like, you know, uh, Destroyer or something with, with Warlord. But uh, <laughs> um, uh, I thought he would have been a perfect fit, you know, because Warlord had that kind of gothic sound. You know, I was like, dude, right. get this guy. And that's back, you know, I was 13, 14 years old. And I was like, hey, you call the guy up, you get the guy. That's how it works. And I was like, why didn't they call this guy? Oh, he's got to know who Warlord is. Everybody knows Warlord, you know. Little did right. I know they probably sold twelve hundred records on Metal Blade, but uh, um, <laughs> you know, that, that was, I just always thought Warlord's songwriter would have worked really well with Ozzy. But uh, no, he got Jakey Lee instead, and that's when you know I completely. You know, he had the ultimate, the ultimate drummer play the ultimate sin. You know, it's like, ah, oh, boo. So, <laughs> I know Randy Castillo was on The Ultimate. I was just trying to make a fun little uh, comment there. But, uh, you know, yeah. yeah, Tommy Aldridge on Bark at the Moon. It should have been just a ripping record. But, unfortunately, there was a very L.A.-sounding style to, to Bark at the Moon. So, it just wasn't quite as fun. Yeah, actually... Um Carmine of Peace says that he plays on part of Bark at the Moon, actually. That he uh, uh, helped mix it and actually played some of the tracks, so who knows? <laughs> well, he, he, he did some really poor lip-syncing, lip-drumming on that Bark at <laughs> the Moon video. I just remember, like, right. there's a full-on drum fill going on, and Carmine's twirling his stick right at the camera. And, yeah. you know, I know Tommy Aldridge's style. I know Tommy Aldridge played on Dark of the Moon. I know Tommy Aldridge played on uh, Rock and Roll Rebel. And uh, I think those were kind of the, both two of the the hits off that record. And I know Carmine Peace didn't. I remember he brought him in for the tour, and he lasted about two weeks. 
the legendary drummer of Anthrax, Charlie Benante. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, since we're on the subject of Ozzy, you want to give your input on Blizzard of Oz? Great comeback. Great comeback record. I love that record. I, I think I love that record more than I do Diary of a Madman. It's just so raw and, and brutal, you know? And uh, because you can... The thing about Ozzy and Ozzy's voice, especially, is like in Sabbath, it was so fucking high. You listen to some of those old Sabbath records, and his voice is just so up there in range. Yeah. And um, when he did Blizzard of Oz, I think it, it, you know, it was, it was, of course, you know, he was getting older and his voice wasn't quite as high, but yet you hear a song like Crazy Train, you know, the. That song is such a commercial song. The riff and the and the and the melody it, it, it's such a radio friendly song. But when it came out, it was fucking heavy metal. It was so yeah. heavy, you know what I mean? And throughout the years, it's become this kind of catchy song, you know. And mm -hmm. I just love that record, man. There's just so many great moments of it, you know. Mm -hmm. Steal away is on. Uh, Steal away the night and um, oh, just a great album from start to finish. It's I just love the people who played on that record, too. It's such a great band. He's played with Steven Tyler, several members of KISS, Billy Idol, and started the Bonzo Bash, Brian Ticci. All right, so my choice is Ozzy Osbourne's Blizzard of Oz, and I'm, I'm assuming we all know a little bit about this record outside of it being Ozzy's first um, post-Black Sabbath record. And I think one of the little interesting tidbits because there was confusion back then was um that you know uh well this isn't part of the confusion this was just an interesting tidbit that initially i think the band was supposed to be called blizzard of oz right mm -hmm. and right. okay and then they ultimately changed it to being to having the record called blizzard of oz and the you know it's it was you know by the artist known as ozzy osbourne you know with a band and um uh blizzard of oz that what we know, uh, you know, in the U.S. was was pretty much okay. Randy Rhodes came out and just, you know, pretty much, you know, uh, really took over. At that point, I think, you know, there was a ton of great guitar players, but Eddie Van Halen had came on the scene and was like the new, the new uh, reigning leader of of rock guitar, you know. But right. soon after, a couple years later, Randy Rhodes comes in, and uh, I was. Oh man, seventh grade at the time. I was in seventh grade, and there was an interview with Ozzy on on um, on the radio. And I had known about Sabbath, and I was aware of. I think I had uh, um, War Pigs on. I mean, Paranoid on eight track, and and I, you know, so and I was aware of Black Sabbath, but I didn't know. And in seventh grade, I felt a little embarrassed that I didn't know that Ozzy was the singer of Sabbath yet. Like I was just. I was way into Kiss and Aerosmith and Zeppelin, but I was aware of Sabbath. I just didn't know like all the names everybody. But anyways, so I'm listening to this interview and it's going, oh yeah, you know, uh, Ozzy, you let you know your you know it's your first record after Black Sabbath. And I'm going, whoa, Ozzy's from Black Sabbath. Oh, okay, whoa, all right, I'm trying to get into this. And then they go, yeah, we're gonna you know, we're gonna play the first song from from uh, the Ozzy from the Blizzard of Oz record. This is a track called I Don't Know. And I'm like, you know, I had just listened to this, this, uh, you know, five minute interview or something like that. And he's talking about Randy Rhodes and, you know, I hadn't heard a note and the records just coming out and, um, uh, you know, the backwards gong comes fading in 
And then this right. Randy comes sliding down the neck and into this massive riff, with this awesome guitar sound, and the band kicks in. And you can't forget about Bob Daisley because, his, to me, uh, I love the, this record, but Bob Daisley is like the unsung hero in a John Paul Jones sort of way because he's really the glue between uh, Chris Lake and Rhodes, in my opinion. You know, he's, right. he's, he's really, you know, he's, it's, he's just, done so, he's such a great, cause he's not something you're big, you're, he's not like trying to stick out, you know, like playing stuff that sticks out. He's just fitting in, but he's playing musical melodic lines, locking it, locking up a Lee Kerslake and, and being musical around Randy's parts, you know, but he's not playing like a metal bass player. You know, he's not playing like, like following the guitar. He's playing his own stuff, which is just right. awesome. So that's, you know, which just goes back to an old, older, you know, more of an old school bass player, but it just fits great. So this song comes in and Ozzy, whose voice is, is just so classic, you know, you know I, I love it. I love the character and his voice and he's singing. I just love the song, that song right out of the gate. And then it gets to the middle part where it goes into halftime and they're mellow. And then it kicks back in, it's rowdy. And then Randy comes in with a solo. But at the time, everybody, like the standard at the time, because I think it was mainly like Eddie Van Halen was doing it, was putting in little guitar licks in between your riffs, you know? So you'd have like, you know, and he puts in some crazy licks, you know? So that was, you weren't just like playing a riff, like, like, like more like Iomi, you know, where you'd play the riff and that's the riff. You'd like play your riff and put in little licks. So Randy's doing that. And then his lead solo comes in and it's just awesome. And uh, I, I just, I loved the whole song. I loved it. I was hooked instantly. And then I think they talked, did another part of the interview, and then played Crazy Train. And I was like, you know, you hear the first time you hear the uh, vibra slap and you hear the I, 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 and the, oh, come on, man. I was like, this is awesome. Yeah, I loved it. So, <laughs> so, so I got the record immediately. And, and, I, and, uh, and then soon after that, not to get away too far from the record, but I had heard Ozzy live on King Biscuit Flower Hour, and it was Ozzy, Rudy Sarzo, Randy, and Tommy Aldridge. And that was my first exposure. I think it was my first exposure to Tommy Aldridge, but I may have already heard him with Pat Travers on the radio because I remember hearing boom, boom, echo the lights and, and, and being blown away by the drums. And then I was like, oh, wait, you know, who, who is this? I don't know anything about this. And then when Ozzy goes, Mr. Tommy Aldridge, Aldridge, I was like, and I, and I just kind of put it together somewhere years down the road that, that it was like, that's Tommy, you know, like, so I've, so the live band was killer with, with Rudy Sarzo and Tommy and Lee Kerslake and Daisley on the record were, were also killer. And I, I love both aspects of, of the, of, I love both bands, you know, at that point in time. So anyhow, I, I got my butt kicked, you know, a couple times over by Randy, you know, playing live. He's just, cause I mean, just on fire and, kind of breaking ground you know in you know he's you know with the with the two hand tapping with some of the with this diminished scales and his and his you know kind of classical approach to the solos and his very melodic classical approach to you know well thought out solos and all that so it's just just badass and um the songs are great but you know with without the great songs this record you know okay great you have randy playing great and you have you know some cool riffs but the songs are great so you know top to bottom you know uh right when you get you know i don't know and crazy train just huge rock anthems then then they give you a you know goodbye to romance it's like right into a ballad you know what i mean like come on where's right. like a beatles sound a ballad and that's cool it's just cool because it's just a, it's just a cool song and it's and in uh 
I don't know about other people, but I, I, I got into I, I dug that I dug that as a third song. Then well, then then you get D right, and they have you know Randy's mm-hmm. like that's just a little more mellow classical piece. Randy writes for his mom. Then suicide kicks in and kills you, and that's awesome. It's just a it's a an awesome riff, awesome song. Flip the record record over, which we did back then because we were buying records, and and um, you start out with Mr. Crowley, which is epic, epic. Into No Bone Movies, which is just a, a, a just a cool rocker. It's like the most rock and rock song on the record. And then to mm-hmm. the epic Revelation Mother Earth, with which has uh, I don't want to say it's Randy's best solo, but it's just like it starts out all eerie and classical and kicks into the into gear and the heavy bit, and he kills he kills goes in this killer solo. I don't know. So it, it, right now, I'd like to say it's my favorite solo on the record. And then and then. Uh, then steal away the night which ends it it's like the second most rocking song on the record as far as like a rock song but man through the whole record randy just shines it's it's a really cohesive sounding record ozzy sounds great it's just it's classic and it's and and not to stray too far off but it leads perfectly or diary follows this perfectly like some may say diary's better in uh, mm-hmm. some reasons, for some, there's some things about Diary of a Madman I even like better. Like I think, Over the Mountain is untouchable. I think Flying High again is as good as any of the other songs. I love Flying High again, um, and Diary of a Madman. It's like you have Revelation, Mother Earth. I mean, I could do a comparison of the two records, you know, but they're very they're very similar. Like there's there's in a in a in a writing like they didn't veer off the path too much, you know, from one record to the next. And the sounds are very similar, and and that's pretty cool because I know both records were recorded in in a in a uh, the, I think at the same studio in in a close proximity of time. But um, back to Blizzard of Oz, you know, Ozzy comes out of Sabbath, and Sabbath was already you know everybody knows they were getting their kind of kind of you know getting their butt kicked by Van Halen coming out, and Van Halen took over, but Ozzy starts this. A solo band with this with the, the next LA guitar hotshot Randy Rhodes, and then he you know he gets Curse Lake on the record, which is um, you know another one of the heavy metal's best drum intros. You know uh, is is uh, um, Over the Mountain. You know it's one of the best, and, and right. as is Where Eagles Dare from Nico, and there's a ton of them. But I'm just saying, those are epic. Those are classic, and um, but uh, you know Ozzy gets his band together and and. Uh, it's like, who would have thought Ozzy could do that then in the state he was in? You know, he's getting kicked out of Black Sabbath. You know, he's like, you know, you know, you know, whatever. He's a mess. He's a, he's a mess. And here he comes through all that with this butt kicking new band. And, and then, you know, they switch it up a bit. You know, of course, they had Curse Lick and Daisley. And then whatever drama happened, they're not a part of the band and in the States. But it's Sarzo, and it's it's Tommy Aldridge, which is just Tommy's one of my, you know, I, I love him. I love, he just kicked my ass so hard when I was a kid. When I heard his drum solo on King Biscuit, and I heard how he approached those songs, I loved it. Just loved it. And I was like more of a single bass John Bonham guy, single kick, single bass drum player. But I loved right. the way Tommy played. You know, being exposed to Tommy Aldridge and Neil Peart in like pretty much the same year was made, you know, was, was awesome. You know, it was just like, and I didn't switch to double kick. I just tried to, you know, I, I just loved the sound of it. I loved what, how they played it, but I, whatever, I'd have to buy a second bass drum then. And I don't even know if we had double pedals back then, but anyways, <laughs> it was, it was just like, those, the, you know, so I used to practice drums to this record. And then on the other side, I didn't know 
that much about guitar. I understood my strings. I might have understood a chord here or there. But I tried soon, you know, soon after getting this, getting after getting Blizzard of Oz, I tried as hard as I could to learn all the guitar, like leads and and rhythms, which I was learning as I was going. I was like learning from friends, learning just little bits and pieces here and there, learning about just shapes and stuff on the guitar while I was trying to learn Randy Rhodes' Blizzard of Oz in its entirety I, because I loved it so much. <laughs> I would just sit there, and I think I had the cassette at that time because I would just do this whole insane rewind, play, rewind, play, like – Real play, real play, real play. <laughs> just constantly per, per note, then it, then it, then it, and I'd hear one note, one note, and and um, so, but I loved it, you know. So I do, I got some of the riffs right and some of the solo bits right, but I didn't know my way around a guitar that great. But I just loved Randy's playing, and and the thing is, it sounded so well thought out that it sounded like achievable. It sounded like I could almost get there because it was so well thought out, you know. And uh, right. there, you know, um, yeah. So, so this wasn't just like a great record for me to, as a drummer. It was a great re- metal record with with awesome songs and a great a great record as far as like you know one of the. I mean, at that time, that's one of the best guitar records out there. You know, in 1980, that's a that's a man. That's a great year for for metal and for for there's so many great records coming out there. I think it was Women and Children First. There's tons. I'm not gonna remember them all, but like Back in Black, Blizzard right. of Oz. Uh, was it Mob Rules then? I think it was Mob Rules. I don't think it was Heaven and Hell. I think it was Mob Rules. I think I think Mob Rules was eighty one. Oh, oh wait, you're right. So it was Heaven and Hell. It's Heaven and Hell, right? They, yeah. So they, I mean, which is awesome, you know. So it's kind of interesting because that's on your list too. You know, Heaven. I was just way more into Blizzard of Oz at the time, just because 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 Randy was so modern, and and I just really liked Ozzy's voice. I mean, Dio's insane. Heaven and Hell is killer. Listen back now, but. I don't know. I just think uh, you know something about Blizzard of Oz, and I and, and it was, for me it was probably the intro riff to I don't know. It's just <laughs> perfect. It's amazing, you know. Right. It's just a perfect riff, and uh, so it really sold me on the whole re- whole record. So so yeah, that that record is um, is is great, and and I was really uh, 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 really upset when you know if you find out that uh, because of whatever internal BS is going on behind the scenes that uh, us metal fans don't know about that you know the uh, bass and drum tracks were re-recorded for a period of time, uh, and then finally uh, the the you know original drum and and bass tracks were put back on, and I guess they call it like a reissue or something like that, whatever they call it, to sell it again right. or something. But you know that shouldn't be done to the, these these records. You know you know it's just just come on man like that's you're never gonna win doing that you're never you're never gonna right, win. Right. no there's not one fan of these records that says cool i'm really into uh, i mean just take it out of that perspective and just go think of another really you know big drummer uh think of a, a great record you know um by somebody just like okay just go to mob rules and let's say mm-hmm. you took off Vinny Apice, and you put on, you know, let's uh, uh, some, you know, a new newer drummer, you know, whatever, you know, twenty years later or something like that, like, right? <laughs> and they replace Geezer Butler with some other new bass player. Let's say you replace Geezer Butler with JD from Black Label Society, and let's say you replace Vinny with, uh, you know, uh, um, man, I don't know, with Ray Luzier from Corn. You know, it's like. They're gonna play. They're <laughs> right. gonna play. They're gonna play great. They're gonna do a great job. But I don't. I don't. Don't release the record and try and tell me it's the same thing. It's. It's come on. And yeah. And the thing is, you're going over those tracks to play to. Um, you know, 
pre-existing classic timeless tracks, you know, of Ronnie James Dio and and Tony Iommi, and you're going to put new drums and bass on that? Like, how is that even going to mm-hmm. flow? How is that going to even flow in any way, shape, or form? It just sounds so wrong. So, you know, that's pretty goofy that it was done, you know, for, you know, for what real reason? Like, what do we care, you know? Why would that need to happen? So now it's back to normal, I guess, and that's cool. And the record rules, and, uh, yeah, it's timeless. It's timeless. That's why I don't want to mess with it. It's a timeless record. And and uh, and then the end result. Okay, after all that jibber jabber, it's uh, um, uh, is that you know it's down the road, I end up you know. So this is all in seventh grade for me. You know, I was like twelve years old or something. And then uh, I go through you know, high school and music college and start playing through my twenties and I end up meeting this guitar player Zach Wilde that had replaced Jakey Lee, who had replaced Brad Gillis, who had replaced Randy Rhodes. And I do a band with him, and he was in Ozzy for you know seven years prior to that. And then a few years later, I end up auditioning for Ozzy and getting to be his drummer and playing I Don't Know and Crazy Train and um, uh, Mr. Crowley and Suicide Solution uh, and you know, other songs from the other records, but all off the same record that I just explained to you. That I just told you how much how important that record was to me. So that is a highlight in my life, and and I'm always going to be, uh, you know, uh, r- real happy that it, I got my got got to that point where I was able to be on the same stage as Ozzy Osbourne, along with Joe Holmes, who absolutely killed it um, when he was with Ozzy, as did Robert Trujillo on bass, and uh, you know, so I got to do a summer playing with one of my idols, and and uh, that I learned a lot from as a kid. And I, I, I find myself saying that a lot, and I guess I've done it quite a bit, and that's always going to be cool with me. Talk to me 20 years from now, and if I do it again, <laughs> I'll be happy. You can tell you all about playing with Steven Tyler and how huge Aerosmith was had an effect on me and playing with Ozzy or playing with you know, Foreigner or Whitesnake. It's all great. It's all a lot of fun because I'll never complain about that stuff. These are, you know, and, and, I, and I should really – I have no excuses every, in every situation I'm in with these people because – because I grew up, all the answers were there as a kid, and I put time into these records, and I and I grew up to these records. So there's no reason when I go to play for these bands, I shouldn't be playing like as as you know, like you know, like on my own. I'll be, my, I'm going to be my own. I'm going to be the hardest on myself before anybody is about how I'm playing. So I know what I'm supposed to do because this is my life. You know, I grew up, I grew right. up with this stuff. So, so you know. Um, Yes, and I never take it for granted. It's you know, I I like to think that the more you do, and the more the more you uh, you, you know, the more um, you know, you prove yourself in these situations, and the more experiences you get, the better you get at it. But it doesn't make me. It only makes me a little bit more confident. It doesn't make me take it for granted. You know, like I would never take you know for granted. Um, you know, like Steven Tyler calling me and saying, "Can you play like a, a benefit show?" You know, with me with with Joe Perry and myself. I would. You know, it's like are you kidding me? I'll, I I. I'd, you know, like that's that's huge to me. Or or or, or I'm about to go do a month uh, filling in in, in Queensrÿche. You know, with, with Jeff Tate, and it's like, you know, I'm. You're kidding me. I've I've you know, played you know, mind crime top to bottom, man. People go in there, they know their shit. They know exactly what mm-hmm. they're gonna hear, and I, I've got to give it to them 100. percent You know, I can't be like, oh, I'm just a filling guy. Uh, you know, I didn't really, I'm not familiar with Queensryche music. I, you know, are you kidding me? I, I, I go up there and, and, and the better I do, the better off I will be down the road, you know, for mm-hmm. every, every show that I do what I'm supposed to do is just better for me in the big picture. So, um, yeah, 
So it's all, it's all, I just I always end up kind of in these these cool positions um, that tie into you know my uh, you know my past you know for, for like for for you know t- totally it's not even like oh I kind of mm-hmm. heard of this once a kid no I I mean I'm what are, I, mean, I think my brother my younger brother was more into uh, Queensrÿche than me but um, but uh, you know I think I had the uh, the warning record maybe the one after mm-hmm. you know and I you know, was familiar with all these songs so but yeah. Um, so there you go. So there's the Aussie thing, you know that that's Blizzard of Oz and 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 how it ties into me from seventh grade all the way up to now. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Okay. One of the founding fathers of heavy metal drumming, Carmine Apice. Ozzy Osbourne's Blizzard of Oz. Obviously, you've had a past with Ozzy. You played with him, and an interesting thing that came up while interviewing your brother, he mentioned that he was offered the spot in Ozzy's band before he was offered the spot in Sabbath consulted with you and you told him that he should turn it down because Ozzy was too out of his mind. Right. And he was, <clears throat> I mean, I would sit with Ozzy at the rainbow and I turn around for him. And next thing I know, Ozzy's face was in a bowl of spaghetti, you know, face down because he you know, was so out of it all the time. So I, I really didn't see any future in that, you know, at the time, you know, but uh, and then he went on to do the Blizzard of Oz, which was with Bob Daisley, and that probably would have been my brother. But instead, it was Lee Kerslick. But in the end, they got screwed out of a lot of money, <clears throat> you know, from that deal. Uh, so yeah, it was a great record. And Bob Daisley is a great lyricist, a great writer, and he had a lot to do with uh, all that. And I just finished reading Bob's book where he went into detail about the making of that album, you know? And, uh, you know, Bob and Ozzy were good friends, and you know, Ozzy contributed a few melody lines, but Bob wrote all the lyrics. Bob wrote all the bass lines and, you know, and helped arrange the songs and stuff, you know, with Randy. You know, Ozzy was, uh, Ozzy probably did the least work on those records as, any, as anybody else. But, you know, it was the fact that he had a name from Sabbath, and it, it was trying to, you know, bring him back. But, you know, but, you know, they, they put together some amazing songs that, uh, you know, test is, the test of time is, you know, proven that they're great songs. We still play um, Crazy Train in our show that me and Vinny do called Drum Wars. Because I, I played it with him with, 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 uh, when I was touring with him. You know, so we were just taking songs from the past history of our, you know, of our careers, you know. So Crazy Train was one of them. And, you know, great guitar riffs and some of the bass lines are, you know, just so melodic and so right there, so soulful, you know. And Bob Davis, he's an awesome talent, you know, and it's a shame that everybody got screwed along, you know, with this, with that album. It was really supposed to be a four-piece band. Blizzard of Oz was the name of the band, you know. And I, and I heard, you know, when I played with Ozzy, Bob was with us. And you know, I used to hear stories about it, you know, while I was playing with him, you know. But uh, you know, my 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 aspect of looking at that album is different than probably most people, because most musicians you talk to now, <clears throat> they were influenced by that album. I was never influenced by that album, you know. Matter of fact, I released my solo album on Epic 
at the same time as Ozzy did that album. But uh, mine mine didn't sell like his did. I did probably a hundred thousand records, and he sold a million. You know. What What do you think? Uh... Had had the biggest hand in in that happening, uh, Don Arden or was it? Yeah, I think it was, it was Don Arden and Epic, and the fact that he pulled, he did that bit where he bit that dove the dove's head off at the at the Epic um, meeting that they had, and that really gave him so much press, you know, positive press that the, the audience was amazed at that, and they started buying the record. I, I believe that was a big push for him for for that. From the Rods, Carl Kennedy. I thought that was first. First thing was we curse like playing drums on that, and I always liked his drumming from Uriah Heep. So I thought that was really great. I thought Rudy, great bass player, always loved Rudy Sarzo's bass playing. Always loved Ozzy. You know, everybody loves Sabbath, and uh, so that was great. But Blizzard of Oz was. We didn't know Randy Rhodes, and uh, we wound up doing the first date. We did a, a few dates with Ozzy. The first date we did was in Syracuse at the Landmark Theater, and uh, we were in the dressing room, and we started hearing this unbelievable. We couldn't talk anymore because the guitar, this guitarist was warming up, and it was definitely loud and just so it was crazy. We couldn't even talk to each other in our dressing room. And uh, and what we were listening to was this unbelievable riffing. Just we'd never heard anything like that. Like, oh my God, that's unreal. And uh, you know, it was Randy Rose warming up. And then uh, you know, watching them, and uh, subsequently doing other shows with them at the War Memorial and different shows. And it was it was a great time to be watching the band. And Tommy Aldrich was on drums. And Tommy Aldrich had I had been a big big fan of his since. Black Oak, Arkansas days. So for me, seeing that, but hearing the album and then seeing them live, it was just a, it was a great experience. Which, by the way, going back to Blizzard of Oz, I want to say Randy Rhodes' guitar tone, which had a kind of a backed off wah wah pedal sound, was really a cool tone. You know, it was an unusual tone to have uh, at that moment in time, and it was a, we always loved that rhythm sound. You know, it was a great heavy tone for the time. That lineup and those live albums that they recorded uh two that have been released to me listening to him uh, listening to randy play that stuff even today always takes me back to when i was a kid and first heard those tracks initially and it's it's just such a shame hearing all the energy and everything uh, in his playing and and in that lineup and you know, in hindsight, knowing what's going to happen afterwards. It's the just... tragic end, yeah. You know what, he was a really, uh, really sweet guy, and, you know, Rudy's a sweet guy, but they, they treated us really well, and Sharon was really great on the tour. You know, everybody was really nice, but Randy was super nice, and, and so was uh, Rudy. Did you ever think that he was going to become as big of an influence as, as he yes, became? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were, it wasn't like we hadn't heard guitarists, and we are standing in the, in the dressing room, and the stuff he was playing, the warm-ups and things he was playing, were totally different from what he played in, in Ozzy. So we were just like, oh, my God, the guy's unreal, unreal guitarist. So, you know, we knew that was, you know, somebody who was playing. It's like Eddie Van Halen, the first time you heard Eddie Van Halen. You knew people were going to emulate that guitar style, you know. It's the same with Randy Rhodes. You knew the guy was amazing.
you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show. 